Hey, this is Royce Hall, your host of the Wealth Science Podcast. I'm joined today by Mike Gallagher with BusinessExpos.com. Good to have you today. Thanks, Royce. How are you doing? Doing great. Fantastic. You know, when, when I have guests on, on this uh, podcast, you know, we, we like to talk a lot about the future of the financial industries. I also like to dig in a little bit uh, to you, who you are, what drives you. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned to me a little bit ago was uh, you're really into wrestling. Now, is that like Hulk Hogan and like The Rock or like, you know, what type no. of wrestling you're into? No, like uh, international, uh, like Olympic style college wrestling. I wrestled all the way from the time I was a kid until I was all the way through college. I was a member of the 1998 NAI National Championship team at Montana State. Um you know, it's a, it's a passion of mine. It keeps me sane in the winter uh, when I'm not focused on work or keeps doing you sane. stuff. I, yeah. I don't know. I think the rest of us say it keeps you insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> keeps me motivated. Yeah. So you, you were saying that, you know, that kind of, you know, that mentality, the, the physicality, the mentality of it kind of led you to where you are today. Can you tell me about that? Because I think, you know, like being in the uh, like payments industry and the financial industry is like, how, how did you get from like wrestling to, to that? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a common theme of people who are wrestlers. Uh, what it does is it teaches you hard work and anything related in the payments field or anything that's kind of, uh, you know, aimed at the financial world is, is it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of work. Nobody's going to pay you money or hand you their information if you're not willing to work for them. So what it does is it really teaches you how to persevere over adversity, um, how to get up in the morning, how to, you know, have a prop, put a process in place that's going to work. You have to be very disciplined. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not as disciplined with this in my old age, but, you know, I used to cut a lot of weight. I used to do, used to really push myself. I remember going to classes in college and, you know, in between classes, I'd have to go run a couple miles to make sure I made weight, you know, hours in the sauna, you know, waking up at 6 a.m., having a practice, go to class, run in between classes, go back to another practice at 3 p.m. Because we had goals. And then, like, the guys on my team were so good and the guys I practiced was, were so good. I, I just would take beatings on a daily basis. And that, that, but what you learn is that like, Hey, I can kind of push myself further than I thought I could. I can work harder than I thought I could. And I can make things happen when it didn't seem like there was a chance of things happening and wrestling. Really? It's, it's like similar to chess. You know, you, you know, everything's related to specific positions and how you, where you are in space and how you, you know, attack somebody, you know, it's, so it's not like you just go out there and grab somebody and roll around. That wouldn't work. The guys are too good. They're too strong. They have too much technique. So you perfect your techniques and you learn how to, you know, defend against certain attacks and go after certain ways. And what that does is that that creates a mentality that you kind of carry with you throughout your life. So if you fail, you're not afraid of failure because wrestling, you get, you're going to lose every day. Everybody loses every day. So you're not, you get over that fear pretty quick. You're not afraid to go out in front of a crowd because you're, you're standing in front of a crowd and 
nothing but spandex, you know, um, you're, you're used to pushing yourself beyond what most people would think is normal. I mean, losing 10 pounds in an hour wasn't uncommon, you know, things like that. So that, that kind of leads you. And then when you get out of that world and you can't do it because you get too old, your body breaks down, you have injuries build up and stuff. You have to find something that kind of fits that competitive nature. And like that led me into sales and through my sales, you know, career, I came across the payment space and I, I went into payments not really knowing a whole, I had a really cool opportunity that was offered to me kind of out of nowhere. And I got involved in payments with a company called North American Bank Card, which uh, I really like those guys. I'm still friends with a lot of people there. They're really great, just good people. And um, they gave me a real opportunity and taught me a lot. I learned a lot about this whole crazy world uh, of payments and really what's going on in that most people never, ever think about. And the multi-billion dollar corporations that are running transaction processing that nobody even knows the name of. It's, it's wild. Like, I would try to explain it to friends and family what's going on in that space, but no one would ever know. And it'd just be like, they'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what PCI compliance is. I don't know what a card transaction network is. I don't know, you know, what this means or that means. All I know is I have a card and then I don't have to carry money and I can go buy something if I want it. You know, so that was, uh, and, but it's a really competitive field, you know, you, to, to last in that space, you really have to perform because there's other people that will come and take your job. You know, you usually get, you know, if yeah. my, I was in business development. I handled our third party resellers. I negotiated their contracts and their, their payment schedules and things like that. And I had to sign those guys. I had to convince them to send their business to us and why they should use our networks and how we pay them. But I was also responsible for like a $1.2 million net recurring revenue every year. And if I didn't hit that number, I mean, they didn't care. They'll go find somebody else. There's a lot of guys out there that can do the job, you know? So that, I mean, that was kind of uh, how I got into it and what I liked about it. And then like, as I got into it, it's a really crazy field. There's a lot of just interesting things going on in the regulatory changes and the technology every year it changes dramatically. You really have to keep your finger on the pulse, everything from, you know, compliance and security regulations to the way payments work. Like when I started, there was no square, there was no stripe. And when those guys came into the market, they were a direct competitor of the companies I was working with. And it, they were a massive disruption. And they changed the way things are done. No more, you know, the flat rate pricing model blew everybody's mind. And the peer-to-peer -peer transactions blew everybody's mind. So you had in that industry, all these other companies that were big, you know, a little bit older companies had to change and adjust and some didn't and they got bought or went out of business, you know, because of these disruptive technologies. So that really made me kind of get interested in the FemTech space. And then a lot of the independent guys that I worked with, you know, they were making crazy money, you know, they, these independent small offices that were reselling these services were making a lot of money. And then I would learn from those guys, like, how are you doing this? What are you doing? What processes do you take? And it, um, it really uh, is really cool. It was really impressive. And now you're probably wondering like, well, why the hell are you doing events now? 
why are you not in yeah. that space anymore? Yeah. Um, you know, after I was, I was in payments for over a decade, last company I was with got sold like three times, four times while I was there because all the payment processors, the bigger guys were merging and purchase. There's a lot of mergers and acquisitions in that space. And they were kind of moving to new models. Like I said, the industry is ever evolving. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do something different. I kind of wanted out of payments because the, what my expertise was, was in that third-party reseller space. And they're moving more into the ISV space and the VAR space. So um, I kind of, <laughs> and I don't know how appropriate or what your feelings are in this. I wanted to get involved in the cannabis market. So mm -hmm. I, I swear this is all going to make sense when I bring it, <laughs> I br I'll bring it back around. So um, I knew I didn't want to touch the plant. I didn't want to be involved in that side of it. I wanted to be a vertical in a vertical sale uh, uh, so we could reach into that space because I saw, I was here in Michigan when we had the green rush and I was seeing a lot of people make a lot of money and I saw the opportunities and I was like, that's really interesting. So I found a startup company that was running these events, but they weren't like consumer events. They were business to business expos and it was a different take because there's real companies starting to get involved in the space. And I found it kind of exciting, kind of, you know, I was getting, kind of, I kind of knew my old job, kind of I had a good book of business, I kind of wanted to st uh, reach out and, and try something different, challenge myself, go back to that wrestler mentality. What's the next thing? How can I push myself? So I took a big leap of faith. I told Ryan over at my last job, I was like, hey, I want to take this opportunity. It's nothing against you. It's just I'm really interested in this and I kind of need that spark. So I came over here and and started doing these events. Well, 2020 happened and events, it was like the worst timing in the world to be in the event <laughs> marketing space. So yeah. we had to pivot. So I had, luckily, like I said, we're a marketing company. We also serve the industrial sector and the web services side. And I brought over some, uh, some of my payments products that I knew. I was like, hey, you know, you guys are building these websites for these industrial companies, you know, if they don't have payment processing, I can set us up with that way. And that, and some other products and things that I brought on board for us to kind of sell and drive revenue when we couldn't host shows. We, what I like about this company, what I like about the owner is he's very flexible and very open to new ideas. So we had to shift and make some things happen in a time when, when our main product, you know, somebody moved our cheese. I'm sure you've heard that. So like we had to, we had to pivot and we did, and we, and we actually, we made it through and I feel like we came out as a better company. Then uh, as we evolved, you know, we were looking at some of our, some of the revenue we were driving in through our payments and we're like, wow, this is cool. And then like, you know, we get the news bulletins and of course I have friends in the space and I was seeing the technology evolve and, you know, talking with, with Fred is like, you know, why don't we do a FinTech show? Now I know there's, there's, there's shows in the space, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of payment specific shows or this shows. Let's do a, let's do a, an all encompassing show. Let's do it in Vegas and let's do it in a, you know, we know we can run a good show. Like, I don't, you don't know this, but like, Sherwin Williams does all my cannabis shows, you know, I'm signing a deal right now with T-Mobile. I mean, so like, we know we can put on shows that these good traditional companies appreciate in these spaces. I think we could host a good 
solid fintech show and kind of bring more people in because fintech's more than just payments. It's crypto, it's wealth and asset management, it's security, it's, you know, there's nonprofits, there's, it's banking, there's so many pieces. It's a big opportunity for us to kind of do something cool. And it's something I yeah. can talk about and I like to talk to people about and put out there. So that's how we kind of came around to this. And that's how nice. I, I hit you guys up and, and, you know, and invited you to the show. Yeah. And that's, that's how right. I ended up here. So see how I brought yeah, that so around. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. Well done. Uh, I don't even know why I'm, I'm hosting the podcast. I mean, you're just driving the ship here. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, no, that's not a knock. I'm just, uh, good job. Good job. <laughs> so tell me about, about the show. So you, you mentioned that it's in Las Vegas. And yes. is, is this the first show that you, you all are doing? And this is in our, 2023. Yep. It's our first FinTech show. Um, we luckily, you know, we got to practice in cannabis the last five years <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. in the B2B space and really kind of work out the bugs and put together a show that's well run efficient and where people can actually do business. We really focus on people that are, can do business with you at our shows that you have networking opportunities, meetings, we host seminars, we, we find what's important and we mold the show around our, the audience and the exhibitor. So it makes sense for them to do so they can gain prospects so they can you know, write business, create partnerships, drive new business their way, maybe find a vertical they hadn't thought about. You know, we want to be educational and encapsulate that, that piece and be a productive show. So many of these shows are just people kind of hanging out. We want a show that works yeah. with you and for you before and after the show. Mm. So, uh, you know, w what are you doing to kind of change that experience? Because, you know, I, I think of shows that I've been to and there's been some that are like, man, I walked away with, you know, new, new business from this show. And there's other shows where I'm just like, it's a bunch of people who have been in the industry for 20 years, just, you know, sharing lunch <laughs> and like right. I'm the new guy and it's like, nobody wants to talk to me. So like, what are you doing? That's, that's different. We're really proactive on the show floor. Like when we get there, um, we have our team, we want to mix people up we try to guide our exhibitors on how to interact with other people on a show because it's not something people talk about. When you buy a show, it's usually some call center calls a company or the company sees an ad or goes to a website and signs up and here's your booth. Here's your passes. See you later. Oh, you're going to speak at the event. Send me a headshot, a bio and a synopsis of what you want to talk about. What we'll do is we'll actually get involved. We'll talk to them. We'll go like, hey, you might draw more attention if we shorten up the title of your speak. Um, and then we have like a whole, what we call Expo 101 we'll do with people where we, we'll take them through that process of like, hey, how should you be dressed at a show? How should you be interacting with people? What are some best practices at the shows? What are some ideas you haven't thought of? Are you attending seminars? Or are you just standing on the exposition floor? With, uh, with regards to things like that, you know, we want to provide, you know, a knowledge base for people like our website, you know, there's, we have tons of white papers on there about doing exactly that. How, because, you know, the show isn't really, it's not a place, an expo really is, a, you might not write business on the days of the show, but down the line, you're going to make some money. What a, what a show really is, it's also a marketing and a networking opportunity. So you can get your name out there. So you can learn what's going on. So you can interact with your peer groups. 
learn what they're doing, things like that. So you have to interact and you can't sit behind a table on your cell phone. You have to go out, walk away from your booth, walk the floor, talk to other exhibitors, get involved in some seminars, learn from your competition. I mean, everybody's in competition, but, you know, most people have a conversation with you and they, they really want to just become better. So use it as a learning and educational opportunity, things like that. We try to provide that. And then as we're meeting with our exhibitors, you know, we find out like, especially in Fentac, and we focus on emerging markets, like I said, because they're they're it's a growth area. We want to learn what's hot in the market, what people are talking about, and do we have subject matter experts that can speak to that? Can we build panels around those things. Is security big right now? Is peer-to-peer payments big? Do we have experts in that field that want to come talk? And and create that experience so people walk away from the shows, not with just business, but learning something and improving and maybe getting a little fired up and going, hey, I picked this up at the show. I'm going to go and apply that to my daily routine and see if I can drive more revenue from my company. Or maybe may, uh, we can do a new strategic partnership with this company. They have a piece of software that our platform w- would be ideal for. Can we get them into the system and make sure that it's working appropriately and that we can provide to our customers and everybody wins? And that's really what we, the experience that we try to create. Yeah, that, that, that's cool. I can, uh, you know, I can think of some events that I've gone to. I remember going to one a number of months ago as a nonprofit event. And my, my company does a lot of work with nonprofits right. as well as financial services and wealth management and, you know, fintech you know, kind of broadly in the Salesforce world. And I went with uh, uh, one of my coworkers who's like, I don't know, maybe 10,000 times more outgoing than I am. Right. <laughs> and uh, we were supposed to be running a booth together. I don't know if I saw her once. She was just like always out and talking to everybody. And she's like, hey, I just met all these people. I'm like, can you stay at this booth so I can meet some people for a little bit? <laughs> and that's some of the things like, you know, I'll, I'll have those conversations like, hey, set up a schedule where people are walking the booth. They're, you know, someone's holding the booth down. Somebody's working the floor. You always want to work and mingle. And like I said, you know, attend the networking events. Do the stuff you don't want to do. It's, you know, some people also go there and they they go the first day and then they go and they party all night. That's not the best idea either because you never know when that opportunity or that deal is going to walk through that door. And, you know, you've, you've made an investment in the show. You've taken time out of your work schedule away from your normal duties to do that so you know take that opportunity make the most of it you know and maybe maybe it's not even a business opportunity maybe somebody throws a job offer at you that you didn't expect i mean there's all sorts of things that can happen at these events that are positive for you if done correctly and if you work it you know it doesn't matter if there's 100 people or 10,000 people you know there's opportunities to do business at all of these events yeah so uh, I'll put you on the spot here. Uh, I'm going to uh, Dreamforce. It's in, in September. It's, uh, it's the, kind of the biggest Salesforce event okay. every year. So it's a huge thing. And you know, my company is going, we're putting on a couple of events. I'm doing a coffee tasting. I'm really uh-huh. excited about that. I'm a coffee nerd. Uh, so like, what is your, I don't know, one biggest uh, truth or one biggest like nugget that me, I'm not. I'm not like your average uh, attendee, right? Like, I'm not just right. kind of a 
you know, a pedestrian at the show, you know, I am representing my company. Like, what's the biggest suggestion that you have for me? What I would say is, you know, interact with people. And I love the fact that you're doing an interactive event because you might, and you have a passion for coffee. You'd mentioned that earlier. It's something that you're really interested in and you can impart some knowledge on people. I mean, if they're willing to sit there and listen to you about coffee, something they may have no interest in, they just needed some caffeine. I would say that if you can convert that passion and show people what you, what you're able to do with that, I think that can lead to other conversations. I would get everybody's card. I would, you know, try to set up a meeting or two, say, you know, and, you know, make it fun, laugh a lot, joke around. You're a pretty outgoing guy. You're not some wilting flower. I don't think you'll have any problem, but I would definitely say, you know, find out who these people are, get to know them a little bit, build rapport. That's a great opportunity to build rapport. You don't always have to be selling your product. You can just make connections and find out who this person are, what they do, and then, when you reach out to them in a week or two, even if they're not expecting it and you break off a call to them, you have something, a, a good starting point. Say, hey, it was fun. We did this. We did X. We did Z. And then, you know, tell them like, hey, I just want to tell you a little bit more about what I do and how I can help you. Because I thought, and you can even go, look, you know, I, I looked at your company a little bit and I kind of thought about what you guys did. And, uh, you know, I've done some business with folks like you before. And uh, I would love an opportunity to maybe show you a little bit more. And it's that's a much easier conversation to have once you've built some rapport and you've had that interaction. They see you as a human being, not just a guy trying to take their money. Because we all know we're all salespeople. We we go out there and we talk to people all day and we forget that human element's really important. That's why I think like the face-to-face shows are so powerful nowadays. Everything's done online. Um, everything's done through the website. And that's why things like Zoom, you know, make make a big impact. When I'm, I try to do a Google Meet or a Zoom call with every potential client I have. Um, so they see me as a human being and see that I'm sincere and I'm not trying to just uh, sell them something they don't need, you know, that I want to learn about their company. And I'll tell somebody like, hey, you know, we're we're not a good fit for what you do, but I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, and that's, but I think that's what I would do. Use that as an opportunity to build rapport, make contacts, and then, you know, do your research and follow up with those folks. That's, I think, and I think that's what you need to do at every event. But the in-person events are really powerful, especially after a couple of years of not being able to do them, not being able to talk to people face-to-face. People are happy. They're happy to see you and say hi and look at your face without wearing a mask. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. My, uh, my dog, I don't, I don't know what, this is kind of random, but uh-huh. uh, I have a big Doberman. I, I love Doberman and uh, we have a big Doberman dog and somebody came over to our house wearing a mask and he's a very like, maybe I shouldn't pu- say this publicly because he's our guard dog, but he's right. pretty laid back. Right. <laughs> and uh, she walked in with a face mask and he just lost it. And then she pulled it down. And he's like, okay, we're good. Yeah, I guess he was just like on guard for aliens or something. I don't know. I think people have that reaction too. (laughs) Like when they can't see you, and I'm not just talking about masks or anything. I'm talking about when someone can't see you, you're this disjointed voice on a phone. There's no interaction. They can't see the subtle little like communicative motions, you know, you make and things that you do. 
So they can't really get a feel for you. They can't really get to know you. But when you're doing an in-person show and they're talking to them and they're seeing that, oh, this is a real person. This is a real guy. He's way into coffee. But, <laughs> but you know, that shows your human side. And they're, you know, it takes people's while, whilst down. And then you can have a real conversation with them and find out what their needs are, what their problems are, and how you fit into that mold and you can solve those problems. Yeah. One of the things that uh, you said to me a while ago was uh, you, you feel like, you know, to kind of go back to the kind of wealth tech and you know, fintech, mm -hmm. you felt like it's uh, kind of a wilderness. Yes. I kind of like that kind of uh, wilderness bushwhacking idea. So, you know, you say that, you know, it's a wilderness where people can go and stake their claims. So tell me more about that and like what opportunities you see in the space, like what excites you about kind of the advancements in the fintech space? What I really like in about it is, yes, there's several multinational, multi-billion dollar corporations in it. There's also a lot of really innovative individuals that are out there making things happen, coming up with new ways to transfer money and new ways of acquiring wealth. And can really, like I said, like you, it's kind of like the frontier days where you would go out and stake a plot of land and try to build a life. And that's really what Fentac is. Like if you're a developer, you could come up with some new software that is really intuitive and useful, like a PayPal or a Square or a Stripe, things like that. Or even things like Cash App or Venmo, where these peer-to-peer -peer payments where, you know, you're kind of, you know, the decentralization of the banking process is really, I think I find that intriguing. That starts to put the power of, of back into people's hands to where they can really make things happen if they're willing to put in the work and willing to do things, how many new businesses can now like startups, complete little guy selling tchotchkes can now go out there and accept payments with a card that didn't happen 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago, maybe not 12 years ago. That didn't happen. You, you weren't just taking payments. You had to either go through uh you know, like an eBay or something to sell it. But now you can sell direct to your consumer with just a cell phone and they can pay you with just a cell phone. You don't have to worry about having exact change or cash. Anybody can have a point of sale system in their pocket. And I think that launches and drives a lot of businesses and small and medium-sized businesses are really driving the economy right now. And people, like if you noticed, if you're out there, there's a lot of people out there that aren't going back to traditional jobs. And I think that the payments infrastructure and Fentech are kind of driving some of that because there's things you can utilize to transfer money from one person to another. And I find that really exciting. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that is amazing. You know, I think of P2P, I know that you mentioned P2P as well. Yeah. I, I, I'm in the process of trying to buy a house. Right. And, uh, you know, somebody... Uh, asked me for payment over Venmo. Right. It's like, you know, I think maybe three or four years ago, I had a friend invite me. It's like, hey, you need to check out Venmo. I'm like, no, I don't. Like, you know, <laughs> here's a $5 bill. And right. now it's just like, why would I ever use cash, you know? And uh, it's it's all it's all digital. It's, it's completely changing. It's changing the, the way world, that we, you know, you know give then... money to friends. And like some things are going to work, they're going to fade, they're going to evolve and they're going to change. And, but I think what I like about it is there are real opportunities for people to kind of grow their wealth and 
like, you know, the payment space, one thing that I did like about it is I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of guys that started with nothing and built real companies with real recurring revenue and provided a really good life for themselves and their families. There's not a lot of, like, if you go and, and work for, you know, you go to college for four years and you get a degree and you make 60K a year, like, that's, that's nice. But, like, where else can you go outside of payments? I'm sure there's a few things where you could actually start from nothing, have no overhead, and if you're tenacious, you know, you could build a, a portfolio of residuals, you know, without having to get licensed, without having to pay a bunch of money, you know, without having to really do anything other than, you know, learn the product, learn how to explain it, and learn how to prospect for clients. And make six figures, you know, after a year or two, and then really go on from there. And I, I always really appreciated that about the payment space. It was, you had your very um, traditional companies, but you also had your, your wildcats and your guys that were out there making things happen and making a real, a real go at it. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. And I, you know, I just think about my own career, like my own career was, you know, I tell people, you know, it's anything but straight. And, you know, I kind of found my way to, uh, you know, the software industry, you know, right. I studied to be a, a Christian minister. And then I ended up in the landscape industry. I was running a tree care company, which is like, well, okay. Like, you know, bouncing around from place to place and eventually found myself in the, the, uh, software world. You know, I, I think it's kind of a similar thing, just you know, you see people enter the industry and then, you know, a year later or even less, they're like rock stars. You know, like, you know, it's incredible to see people's lives change. You know, it's, it's, there's so much more to be excited about in the industry than just, you know, even the industry itself, which is exciting, you know? There's a company I watch kind of grow from a little, a little tiny single agent office to the guy just bought a massive building. Like, I mean, we're talking like, you know, a four story, you know, probably fit three, 4,000 people in it facility from nothing. And he's a young guy. I don't even think he's 40 yet, but he built that up going door to door and working with local businesses and earning their payments uh, business because he talked to them. He was ethical. He followed up. He took care of problems when they had it. And he built this network. Now he employs a lot of people. And I've seen that story repeat itself several times in the fintech space. Or the guy that comes up with the software design that is just, that's disruptive, but makes people's life lives easier. And then goes out and some big company comes in and pays them a billion dollars for it. We've seen that over and over again. And I think that's yeah. what's really cool. Like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of things, you know, you see a lot of get rich quick schemes and a lot of like people that write books and tell you like, if you do it this way, it's going to work and you're going to be a millionaire. But then you're wondering, why aren't they doing the stuff that they're writing about? They're selling sales courses instead. And that's how they're making their money. Um, but in the paint, in the FinTech world, like I think that, you know, people can come in and make it happen. Now, it's really interesting that you're, you know, you said you were a Christian minister. i I know another guy who is very created a faith-based company. Not that he was overt about it, but his standards were were based in that. Um, and 
he just he sold that company off and is retired now <laughs> like but he built it on those principles you know and he, and he was a mentor of mine he was a boss at another large company I'd worked for and I learned a lot from the guy and I remember one day I, I came to work and he's like yeah I'm, I'm leaving I'm starting my own company but he'd always imparted like a lot of the ethical the ethics and the behaviors and kind of what he had been taught and listened to and based his company on that and I'm telling you within five years he built this up into a multi-million dollar company from you know almost nothing and sold it now he's probably sitting on a boat in the middle of the ocean somewhere you know and that's <laughs> I've seen that thing those things work really well you know and I think things like that it's a process right you're doing the right things every day I'm a like I, I had mentioned before I'm a process over results guy and the reason I am that way is because if I focused on, the, like, of course, I, I have a goal and I want to attain that goal. But if I don't follow those correct daily behaviors and follow those processes each day, if I don't do some sort of outbound prospecting and finding new clients every day, it doesn't have to be a ton, but I do it every day. Even when I'm making a lot of money or when things are really good and really busy, that consistency carries over. and drives revenue and success and makes things happen and i and but i think those are a lot that i learned that from wrestling some people learn that from faith and religion so but there you can look from the time you grew up and look for those lessons that people were telling you your whole life like and follow them but like hey i have a process of behaviors i need to execute every day in order to hit my goals and be successful and the results will come so i i always preach to myself process over results even if it doesn't feel like it's working six months i'm gonna get 10 deals out of nowhere i didn't expect i remember walking i remember i was actually sick and i was sitting at home not feeling well at all didn't go into the office and uh one day i had like seven deals come in like just i hadn't even thought about just from doing those processes over time and sending contracts out and you know they just all hit at once you know and, and things like that that's how you make things happen and that's but I think Fentac and WealthTac and things like that, I think that's, they lead, if you follow those rules, you know, it'll lead to success, but you have to be self-motivated. And that's yeah, really what uh, I like about the industry. Yeah. I like what you said. Uh, you, you said that you have to do that even when you, I think you said, even when you don't feel like it. Right. That's when yeah, good I, things I think, happen. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I'd put like maybe even a sharper edge on that. Like you have to do those things, especially when you don't feel like it. I would 100% you know? agree with that. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm in sales as well. So it's just like, you know, crap. I just whiffed on the big deal that I was, you know, trying to hunt down or like, you know, life, you know, you know, the, the life around my job is not going the way I want. Right. And you just have to, you know, put the right, the right motions together, whether that's, you know, I, I'm sure that you feel that way with uh, with wrestling, <laughs> wrestling, wrestling. Uh, but you know, I, I think of like you know baseball or basketball, where it's just like, okay, you know, if you're in a slump, well, what do you do to get out of the slump? Well, you keep doing the right thing, like you keep right. you know shooting the ball, you keep dribbling, you keep swinging, and it's not going to last forever. But you know, the only way that you lose is if you stop. You know, and sometimes it's maybe it's just a slight hitch in your technique, you know, reach out to a mentor or somebody you trust or somebody that is successful and ask them like, what do they do? 
Well, I'll tell you the first thing they don't do is they don't give up and curl curl up in a ball um, because that does nothing. <laughs> and that's worse than do, doing something ineffectively is better than doing nothing at all. <laughs> you know, motion creates motion, but also be self-aware. Like, hey, if something's not working in your life, change it. I love that. Doing something ineffectively is doing is better than doing nothing at all, man. That's a fantastic quote. I love that. And uh, yeah, I just think of, of, you know, just teaching my kids, you know, I, I have two young kids and, you know, a lot of times like they, you know, they'll just want to give up on something. I'm like, well, don't give up or like, they'll take a long time making a decision. And it's like, okay. Like, you know, even when you're, not making a decision like you're making the decision to do nothing right yep you're and, me, you're deciding to do something <laughs> yeah and that that hasn't quite clicked with them yet i i've said that a few times i'm like you're deciding right now to do nothing and they're like no 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 i haven't made a decision yet i'm like but you're not doing anything you just you got to go and anything is better than than just staying where you are right but that constant reinforcement too though you're you know and i think we all find this out when we hit our early 20s like you say things and you hear your parents come out of your mouth you're like oh that's yeah, why they exactly. said that to me eight thousand times <laughs> like save your money don't buy things you don't need you know stuff like that and then you you end up in a situation where you're like ah oh, that's why they kept telling me that and that's how i ended up in this situation here <laughs> But yeah, we does. all end up in that situation where we're just like, oh, my gosh, my parents were right 25 years ago. Yep. Like, oh, man, the old man knew more than, than I realized. <laughs> yeah, your parents are real stupid till you're about 21. And then you realize that they're <laughs> usually a lot smarter than you thought. Yeah, you're like, oh, wait, they were just like me. It's just I didn't realize that they're just, you know, 20 years older than me. Right. Awesome. Well, uh, any other nuggets of wisdom you want to drop on us? <laughs> I don't know if I have any nuggets of wisdom. I mean, I just appreciate the opportunity to come and talk to you and, and learn a little bit about uh, what you do and tell people about who I am and what I do. And um, I'm really excited that you gave me an opportunity to talk about the show. And um, I'm going to, uh, you know, and I'll get you this information. But if anybody wants to exhibit at the show, we'll give them a special deal for your listeners, your audience of this show. Oh, awesome. Um, I'll put that together and I'll send over the details to you when I uh, send you all the other stuff that you need to get the show up and running. Awesome. But yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I think that would be uh, I think that'd be a good thing. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate the time. You know, if there's is there anything in particular that you'd like to know or have any like specific questions for me that I could provide you know information? Yeah, I've got. I do have one question. Sure. Uh, I know that the show's in Las Vegas and it's in 2023. Do you have a, a specific day, like a date, nailed down yet? Yes, we do, and I will pull that up right now. So the the date of the show is going to be August 22nd and 23rd at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. Um, we'll have seminars, the expo floor, networking, and hopefully a ton of people in the door talking about learning and doing business. 
And um, anybody that wants to check out our show, they can go to businessexpos.com. That's our website. And you can see our full array of shows that we host, as well as white papers. One other thing that we have is we have a business directory. It's free to get listed in there. So if you are an entrepreneur or a bit or a larger business, even, you know, there's a simple form you can fill out. The website gets about a million hits a year, works as a search engine. So people that are looking at our site or looking for suppliers or service providers can Google your information up that stays up and, you know, in perpetuity. And uh, just like I said, we, we just want to help people. We want to help people grow their business gain new clients, reach into new markets. And with your uh, FinTech conference coming up next August, like I assume that we can pay with cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> you pay with card. I'm sure um, sh- we can figure out the crypto thing. I'm sure we have a couple of wallets laying around. Um, we can't, we haven't started selling, like we can sell exhibitor boosts, but there's, so I don't know if you know this about events, a lot of the event centers won't allow you to sell like actual attendee tickets until a certain number. It's either 12 or eight months before the show, depending on the venue. So we're a couple days. Well, we're actually at exactly one year out. So we, I don't know if we have the ticket page up, but if you want, um, and I'll get you my contact info, anybody that's interested in exhibiting can hit me up and I can put together a booth package for you. And, uh, hopefully uh, get you on the show floor. And like I said, we'll have a special discount rate for listeners of the Wealth Science Podcast. And uh, I'm thinking it's going to be pretty significant because we're a year out and I'll give away a couple booths this early just to get some folks hey. on the floor. There you go. Giveaways even. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Not well, 100% Marcus, free. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I well, space dang, here. I was going to take one. <laughs> Well, Mike, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on the Well Science Podcast today. Rice, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. And uh, I'd love to chat again anytime. Yeah, sounds good. Right, thank appreciate you so much. It.